Glad you're with us this morning as we continue our uh, Christmas series uh, called The Star. And uh, we're doing the series through the Advent season. In Advent, uh, the word uh, we learned last week means what? Waiting. Coming. Um, or because we're waiting on someone coming, uh, waiting is a part of it, but the actual word means coming. So uh, the Advent season is about uh, waiting uh, for the Messiah. So f- for those who were, uh, for those Jews before the, uh, Jesus came, they were in the state of waiting, waiting uh, for this Messiah, for this, uh, this king to come that had been prophesied about uh, through thousands of years of Jewish history. And so they sat in anticipation and waiting. And I think we can uh, relate to those that were waiting in that first Christmas season. Because many of us are waiting on, uh, on God for various things in our lives right now. And if you have, uh, it, you know, if you can remember back to when you were children, you remember this waiting when you're waiting for Christmas gifts. And I, I can remember uh, a, uh, a certain Christmas season uh, where I had looked through the Sears catalog. I don't know if any of you guys know what the Sears catalog is. Uh, you guys in the front were like, what's a catalog? You know, you actually have to, you, you get this magazine in the mail and you would like go through it and you would pick out uh, what you wanted for Christmas from a magazine. There was no internet. Uh, you couldn't just Google things. So I, you know, I'd go through the Sears catalog, uh, pass through the underwear section and the home appliances, and I get to the electronics, which was my kind of go-to spot in the Sears catalog. And there was a video game there, Street Fighter 2 for Sega Genesis. Any 30-year-olds that can give me an amen on the Sega Genesis? Before Xbox, before PlayStation, there was something called the Sega Genesis. It was, it, was, uh, it was right in there with Nintendo. And unfortunately, Sega kind of took a nosedive. But that was like my game system of choice uh, when I was a kid. And so I, there's this game, Street Fighter II, my all-time favorite video game. And I wanted it so bad, uh, I, didn't, I couldn't preview it on the internet. So it, it was just the picture of it. And I just thought, that looks like a great game. So I asked my mom for that for Christmas. And so I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting for Christmas to come. And, uh, and I started searching for this game. I was like, I wonder if my mom ordered this game for me. Uh, and I searched for it and searched for it. And the whole time I was searching for it, I just kind of felt guilty, you know, just like, I shouldn't be doing this. And, uh, you know, maybe kids, this was a normal thing for, for some of you, but for me, it was the only Christmas that I cheated, that I purposely went because I couldn't wait to try and find this game. And sure enough, in the, in the pantry, in this upper cupboard behind some uh, moldy food, there was a bag, a Sears bag, and I opened the bag and it was Street Fighter Two. I just could not wait long enough for that game. And then the waiting got even more difficult because I saw that, you know, a couple of weeks before Christmas. So those last weeks before Christmas were very difficult. You know, but we understand this concept of waiting uh, a little bit, uh, but we don't sometimes realize the, uh, how critical, how deep this waiting uh, went for those first uh, Jews that were waiting for Jesus, for the Messiah, to come. Uh, they had a history of being under oppression. They had a history, uh, wh- whether it was from uh, the Babylonians or the Romans, there were certain parts of their history where they were uh, under oppression, in slavery, under world powers. And at the first Christmas, Rome was in, Rome was in charge. 
And so the Jews were waiting for this Messiah, and they thought when the Messiah came, that the Messiah would rule, they'd finally be free, they would finally be liberated. And we see the uh, fulfillment, the coming of this king in, uh, in Matthew, in a, or in, uh, in Matthew and Luke uh, particularly, but one of my favorite passages, Christmas passages, is actually John. This first chapter of John, it's a poetic reference to what happened in the Christmas story. And let me read it for you. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So even as we talk about the star, we talk about this light, this something inside of us that compels us forward, compels us to, uh, to believe that there's a better life beyond what we know. And so this light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I want to read that verse again. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I love this passage. One of my favorite Bible passages. So much packed into it. But I, but I want to focus on what it said there in verse 11 that uh, that he came and his own did not receive him. And then it goes on to say that some did. For, th- for these Jews that were waiting and anticipating this coming Messiah, what was it that made them not able to receive Jesus as king? What did this look like for Jews in the first century? I want to focus very quickly on just four kind of groups or Um, philosophies of thought as people were waiting on the Messiah. And the first is a group called the Essenes. Can you say the Essenes? And they thought, you know, the reason that, you know, the Messiah hasn't come is because we're in kind of collusion with the empire, with the Roman Empire, with culture, and we actually need to separate ourselves from the world. And so they would uh, go into the desert, they would escape uh, the Roman Empire, and they would try and create their own societies, and so it was around the idea of escaping. There was another group called the Zealots. And the Zealots thought, oh, we just got to beat them. We just got to beat up these Romans. You know, we can, you know, if we're God's people, you know, if you go back through our history and you think about David and you think about Moses and you think about Joshua, you know, all these biblical characters that, you know, they, when they were up against these Goliaths, they just went and conquered. And that's what God is waiting for us to do. We just got to step up and conquer. So they were... Um, they were freedom fighters. They believed in fighting against the Romans. And then there's a group of Herodians. 
And the Herodians thought, if you can't beat them, just join them. And they, they, Rome was pretty powerful. And so I think we just got to realize that they're in charge and go with the flow and just, just yeah, they kind of gave themselves over to apathy and uh, kind of gave up hope a little bit that God was actually going to change because this is, you know, Rome, Rome was a significant force unlike any they had ever seen. And then he had a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees thought, we need to be more holy and righteous. You know, the problem is that, you know, God gave us the Torah, the Old Testament law, and was full of uh, laws and things that we need to abide by. And the problem is that we are not holy enough. If we could be a little bit more righteous, a little bit more holy, then God would honor that holiness and he would send us a deliverer. He would send us a Messiah. You know, three of these groups had something in common. The Essenes, the Zealots, and the Pharisees were all the same in a way. All all three of them felt that the coming of the Messiah was dependent on their own actions. You know, if we could just do this, or we could just do that, or we need to change this, you know, if we could do that, then, then we would see God's Messiah come and save us. And the Herodians just lost hope and, and began to align with the, the, Rome, the Roman powers. It was a bit of a spirit of apathy. Many Jews, Essenes, Zealots, Herodians, Pharisees did not receive Jesus. They didn't recognize him because he didn't show up the way that they expected you know, many of us are like a scenes. We want God to help us escape. God, if you only knew what was going on in the world, can you just, could you deliver me? Can you take me away from the chaos that's going on? Many of us are like zealots. You know, we just believe we got to rise up and fight fire with fire, whatever we're up against. You know, we have this fighting mentality. Or we're like Herodians. Some of you have lost, lost hope. You're in this apathetic stage because you're waiting on God to show up in some way in your life and you've just kind of gone with the flow. Or we're like Pharisees. You know, we think, man, if, if I was just a bit more holy, if I behaved just a bit more rightly, then maybe God would honor my behavior and show up and help me. But they missed Jesus because he came in a way that they didn't expect. This morning, the Advent focus is love. Now, love has lost all sorts of meaning in our culture. And uh, in the Greek language, there's multiple words for love. Phileo, eros, agape, the three primary words for love that were used. And I, I want to just speak very briefly about agape versus eros, or eros, which is where we get the word erotic from. And so you can guess that it's, there's connotations of this you know, a lustful type of love, a desire. Uh, Eros seeks satisfaction wherever it can. It is determined by an indefinite impulsion towards its object. Versus agape, agape is a free and decisive act determined by its subject. And sometimes we think of Eros in only this erotic way, but in its purest form, Eros is in its highest sense is used of the upward impulsion of man, of his love for the divine. So it's this, this, this person that is seeking to acquire or love something that is beyond its grasp. Agape relates for the most part to the love of God, to the love of a higher lifting up the lower, elevating the lower above others. 
So think about it this way, that God, when we talk about the love of God in Scripture, it's, it's referring to the agape love of God, this, this love that comes from this higher place that initiates to those who are in a lower place. And eros is this, this type of love that desires something that is beyond its grasp. Now let me read for you in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us, and this word love is agape. Every love uh, word in this passage is agape. Dear friends, let us agape one another, for love, for agape love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we love him and he that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We agape because he first agaped us. We love because he first loved us. And for those who were on the uh, senior high retreat a couple of weeks ago, this is going to be a bit, bit of a repeat for you. But I want to focus on how I see, how I understand this agape love and why some at that first Christmas missed out on the Messiah. In 1 John 4, verse 9 to 10, if you go to the next slide, this is what I call the agape love triangle. Everybody say the agape love triangle. Yeah, there was enough oomph for that, like agape love triangle. That's a, um, God loves, in 1 John 4, verse 9 to 10, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God initiates the relationship. Agape, one is, agape love is, is one of God initiating, one of a, in a person of higher standing initiating to a person in lower standing. The Christmas story is all about the initiation of God, the incarnation of God. God who's leaving his place on high to coming to earth. And Philippians 2 says, emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, taking on the form of a human. Though he had the rights as God, he set those aside and he initiated from on high to come to earth. Secondly, 1 John 4.19, we love, we agape love each other because he first loved us. Or some translators just say, we love because he loved us. And so, God initiates love, and because he loved us, because we've received him, so remember in, in John chapter 1, it says, those who received him. Because we received Jesus, because we received God's agape love, that gives us the capacity to love God and to love others. 
Without God's initiation, without God's supernatural love in our lives, we actually cannot love in this way. And then thirdly, in John 14, 21, it says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Obedience is the result of love. You, know, you might not think this is rocket science, but for some reason, uh, followers of God, worshipers of God have gotten this wrong for thousands of years. That obedience is the result of love. You know, when I, hopefully, if, you know, if I'm in a right-standing relationship with my wife, I buy her a gift, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I love her. You guys recognize the difference, right? Or do you buy it just because you have to? God loves us. Agape love. God initiates love. We love because we've received, and then we live in obedience because of the love that we have received and the love that we, and the relationship that we have with God. This is what we get backwards, and this is what the Pharisees got backwards, and even the, the Essenes and the Zealots to a, to a degree as well. And this is what I call the religious triangle. Instead of going one, two, three, it goes three, two, one. That we believe that we need to be obedient. The Pharisees believed that they needed to be obedient. The Zealots and the Essenes believed that they had something to do. They had to behave in such a way that would convince God to come and show up in their lives. And so the thinking is, if I obey, if I change my behavior enough, we go three, two, it'll show God that I am serious about loving him. And because I love him so much through my obedience, then God is going to love me back. Three, two, one. Do you see the difference? The Christmas season is about the initiation of God's love for us. And many of us, we live this three, two, one life where we just, we just think, you know, God, I'm waiting on you. And this Advent season, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm, I'm waiting for you to, to show up and, and do something in my life. And if I could just behave, if I could just change, if this, you know, I know if I could just do something that I could convince you that I'm in, that I love you, and then hopefully you would come and rescue me. That is the exact same lie that the, the first, uh, those people in the first century believed that made them miss the coming of the Messiah. Because the coming of the Messiah was not dependent on their behavior. And Jesus came in a way that they didn't even expect. And we'll talk about that more in coming weeks. And this morning, my invitation for you is to throw away that three, two, one thinking and realize that your first step is just to receive. That God has already initiated. And that his activity and his love in your life might not look the way that you thought it would. But don't miss out on his initiation in your life. Don't miss out on what he's doing, not only on what he did 2,000 years ago, but what he continues to do in the midst of our waiting today. I'm going to invite my good friend uh, Jake Washington to the stage. You can give Jake a hand as he comes on up. <clears throat> You're here. I didn't see him before service. I was like, I hope Jake is here. Um, so 
That was a bit of a faith moment for me. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jake. And I, so for, for those of you who thought this picture was because Jake is dead, um, we had a couple of comments. I was like, I feel like this is a, a memorial service. I was like, no, no, this is, the, the photos that we're putting up, these people are very much alive. And, uh, and so we're excited for them to share bits of their story with us. Uh, and as we've been talking about, the theme this morning is love. Uh, and, you know, a, a couple of years ago, uh, Jake went away uh, to YOM. Was it a couple of years ago? Yeah, like two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Um, and for those who know Jake before and knew him after, uh, you would have seen quite a transformation in his life. Um, and so I wanted Jake to share a little bit about that transformation, his encounter with the love of God. Um, and, uh, and so we're excited, for Jake, for you to share a bit of that story. Uh, but let's start. Before two years ago, let's talk about the high school self. High school self. The high school self of Jake. Just, if you were to describe yourself as a teenager, uh, how would you describe yourself? To describe myself as a teenager, um, someone just so caught up in themselves, someone who was always just searching for admiration from other people and just wanted to control what everyone thought of me. I was so fearful of people just thinking something of me that I wasn't sure, like, what do you think of me? What do you think of me? So I controlled and I, I trained myself to be able to control my emotions, to be able to put um, my own persona, right? So I could, I could act a certain way so that I know what you're thinking of me, I know what you're thinking of me. Whether it's good or bad, I know how you think. I, I know who you, you think who I am. Mm. And, uh, and you talked about you know, how important being cool is, right? Mm. So describe what cool meant for you in high school. Because cool changes all the time. Cool does change all the time. Yeah. But one thing I knew for sure, you know, growing up in the church, um, church wasn't cool. You know, things that the world thinks, the majority thinks are cool, are an exact contrast of what church is, what the love of the Lord is. So in order to be cool, I basically had to cast off anything that I learned in youth group, anything... Um, that my parents were trying to teach me about God, you know, that's not cool. I couldn't be that because I can't be cool and be a Christian. So right. I had to just, I didn't, I didn't have that connection there. And, and I was, uh, you know, that uncool youth group that uh, Jake is talking about is the one that I ran. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, I was the youth pastor at the time. Uh, and now and then, Jake, Jake would show up to youth, and uh, you know, this face that you see on him right now, that's not the face he showed up at youth with. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I'm not going to raise my hands. Yeah. You think I'm going to raise my hands? 24-7. No. And, uh, and I can remember just trying to initiate conversations with Jake and just like, feeling like I was hitting a wall. And, um, and, uh, and, and there's even one, uh, you know, I, I, I'm one of the coaches on the Centennial basketball team, and one year even... He even uh, came and tried out for basketball. I was like, hey, great. This is my one chance to kind of connect with Jake outside of church, but then we cut you from the team. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but it was, there, was this, there was this hardening that I could see on your heart. Uh, and we chatted a little bit about that last week, just the hardness of your heart. Can you talk a little bit about that or how you, uh, why you did that? You know, why, was it an intentional decision to harden your heart towards others um, in church or your family or God? 
Yeah, it was definitely uh, an intentional decision to kind of just, you know, have that disconnect from people. And a lot of it came from not connecting myself with God. I didn't, wasn't able to build up relationship with other people just because I lacked that in myself. Um, yeah, that's kind of what. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, you know, when we chatted last week, you said I wasn't feeling love from God, uh, but I wasn't really looking for it either. And he said I didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear. Uh, I knew the answers. Uh, but that didn't really change how I lived. Yeah. You want to expand on that at all? Yeah, again, I, I knew all the answers, and I, I knew that uh, connection to God was real. I never doubted that God was real, for whatever reason. I just knew he was real, but I just didn't know how to connect to him, and I was too ashamed of being connected to God. Like People ask you, like, oh, they knew I grew up in the church, and I'm like on a hockey team, and they'd say, oh, are you, you're a Christian, right? And I'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm, not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian because if I was to tell them that I was a Christian, then I can't control what they think of me. Yeah. And then uh, and tell us, share a little bit with us about your, um, just the state of, you know, you were kind of on a bit of a roller coaster of emotions and uh, depression and, uh, you know, bad choices, sleeping in for work. Can you tell us practically how that started to just affect uh, your life. Yeah, so, you know, after like three years of just kind of like that hardening with your relationship between other people and you kind of recluse into yourself and then it kind of branches out into different areas of your life. For me, it was like partying. So because I lacked that connection with other people, I really got quite heavy into the party scene, especially after high school for two years. Um, and it really takes a toll on your mental state when now all you're living for is a week in advance as opposed to years in advance. So I'm not thinking about my relationship with you years down the road, mom and dad. I, I only care about my friends because I'm just thinking about next weekend when I'm hanging out with them. And then uh, how did that affect your work life? Destroyed it, especially since I work for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> It was really, really, really tough. And it just kind of goes in cycles, right? And it just gets worse and worse because then you feel bad about not showing up for work. And then because you feel bad, I don't have the structure in my life to be able to have a healthy outlet. So instead, I go out and I party again. And then because I partied, I can't go to work. And it just is so vicious and just destroys you over time. And so in that era, I can remember you know, chatting with your parents and... Uh, I mean, there was one specific conversation I was having with your mom that she was asking just for prayer for you. Uh, she didn't know what to do with you, and uh, you was missing missing work. And then you, uh, but you started to mention YWAM, maybe wanting to go on YWAM, uh, and uh, and and uh, just this this hope and this anticipation of what this what this could mean for you. Uh, and so you made the decision to go on YWAM. And why did you choose that? Yeah, for me. Um Again, I've always been a really self-aware person and always really worried about what people thought, and that's just because I knew who I was. So the same thing is I couldn't raise my hands in church because I was like, oh, I'm, I don't want to feel like people are judging me. Um, the same worked for when I was trapped in that party scene. Yeah, I was partying, I was cool, I was this, I was that. But at the same time, I knew I was broken, I knew I was hurting. Um, 
I knew that I was destroying my relationships all around me. So for me, I had tried and tried to really, okay, I'm not going to go out this time. If I'm going to go out, I'm only going to have like one beer and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to go to work. Um, but it never worked out. And I just got into this deeper cycle um, to the point where I was just like, I, I can't try to fix myself in Calgary. I have to get away. Um, so one morning, my mom came down to my room and while she was like, cleaning up my clothes or whatever, because I'd skipped work again and I was just laying in my bed sleeping. I didn't even, didn't even do anything, didn't eat. I just, I slept, I could sleep all day. Um, she came down, she's cleaning up my room and, she, and I was just like, mom, I think I want to go to YWAM. And she was like, oh, perked right up, ran upstairs, <laughs> runs back downstairs. She's like, okay, there's a YWAM in Australia in one month. I was like, nope, not. Not, not soon enough, not soon enough. She comes back, runs back upstairs, runs back down. She's like, okay, there's one in New Zealand. It starts in like, I think it was like four days or five <laughs> days or something like that. I was like, let's do this. So wow. that's what I did. Cool. And uh, yeah. And so if we were to have Tina, your mom up here, she would like, she would probably talk about the years that she spent praying for you and just like... Uh, her own waiting, right? Her own waiting on God. You know, God show up in this season. God show up in Jake's life. And then, uh, you know, something changed. And then you went to New Zealand. And what happened when you were in New Zealand that resulted in such a uh, shift? When I got to New Zealand, you know, right away, you know, I've, I hung out with, like, Joe Coop and, and Dalen. Like, I never stopped hanging out with those guys. I'd see them now and then, and I'd go to, like, gatherings where they were there. And I remember hanging out with them and they were always kind of like, oh, they're always singing songs and this and that. And so when I went to YWAM, you know, I kind of had an idea of what it was going to be like because I grew up in the church, but I got there and I was just like, are you kidding me? You guys are all literally sitting in a circle singing songs right now. <laughs> but, you know, eventually it became such an, a positive thing for me because I had people that were um, joyful and speaking into me and... Uh, it was just, it was really good. So all those people that I thought were weird became the opposite of weird, and they were, they were just awesome. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned to me that you came into this, you came into New Zealand really broken mm. and searching for healing. You wanted, you wanted healing. You wanted something to change in your life, but you weren't necessarily searching for God. Yeah, totally. So how did you, how did that change? How did you encounter God uh, at YOM? So after even just a few days hanging out with all these people, um, it just really starts making you think a lot about God and who God is. And, you know, he's obviously impacting these people around you because they're way different than all the people you know back home. Um, so I was like, I'm just, I'll give God a try again. I mean, I know who, like, I know who he is and I know all these things about him. I know how I can pray and I can read the Bible and, all this good stuff. So I actually rented out a, they had like a prayer room. So it was kind of like a room where you could rent out an hour, sign a little piece of paper and go in there. And there's no one else around you. So no one got to see me raising my hands in worship if I wanted to do that. And I could just be who I wanted to be and, and just express myself to God, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And so that for me was really awesome. And just, it was a place where I was able to not feel judged for reaching out. Yeah. I think it's such an easy part of the story, you know, growing up, you're so concerned with how other people view you, how they see you. Um, and, and so that started to almost trap you into, you know, how you were behaving. Yeah. 
and and for you the you know to let go of that you actually had to um, just seclude yourself just for a season and you made the comment that you know you wanted healing you wanted you wanted to change uh, and and some of your YOM friends said uh, I got it here what is Oh yeah, you're surrounded by people who are saying, uh, if you want to change, God's the only way to get there. That the love of the Lord is the only way to get there. So you started hearing that enough times and you said, well, I'm, I might as well give this a try. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so tell us, when you're in that prayer room, you booked that prayer room out a, a couple of times. Uh, how did God show up for you in that place that was different than other points in your life? So... Obviously, you're on DTS, so you're learning things about God and how to connect with God or who God is to you and kind of how your life is in reflection of God and who he is. So there was one guy, he came and he kind of shared on a way to kind of connect with God and pray to God, basically. And so you sit there in the quiet place and you pray and you just say, you just type it out. Like, God, what do you want to say to me today? Or any question that you have. And then you just sit there and you just, as words come into your head, you just type them out. And then you just read whatever it says. And so for me, that actually was really, really powerful. Um, and so this kind of breaking moment that I had in YWAM where it was just all, like, so real was while I was in the prayer room and I tried that. And I was like, God, what do you want to say to me today? And I just typed out the next words that I heard and it was, uh, Jacob... I don't care what you think. I just want you to know that I love you. And I was like, okay, that was pretty cliche. Um, I'll try this again. God, what do you want to say to me today? And the second time, it was so similar, but it was God, it was Jacob, I don't care how you think. I just want you to know how you love me. And that how was so significant because in my head, I thought it was going to say the exact same thing. But when I typed it out, that how came out and kind of threw me off course. And then by the time I finished typing, I just want you to know that I love you, I was just bawling my eyes out. It was just this feeling that was so real, it just washed over me, it just hit me in the chest, like just a punch, and I was just like, wow, God is all too real. And in that moment, it just completely snapped and everything, I was just gunning for God, gunning for more relationship, I just couldn't get enough. Hmm. So I asked you to share with me one of your favorite stories from YWAM, and you, you talked about um, your role as a fire starter, uh, tell us a little bit about what that means and you know, you were, because of that you were getting up early and you had one moment in one of those early mornings. Yeah, so at YWAM, as much as my dad doesn't like to think that I get up early because I like to be late for work or back then like to not show up, um, <laughs> but working at Des Moines, you're, you, you kind of have to be an early riser some days. So when I was in YWAM and I was in a little bit of a healthier mindset and I wasn't out partying all the time, I was getting up very early, consistently, because that's what I was kind of used, used to. So I kind of took on this role as like the fire starter, because we didn't have hot water tanks. You had to actually chop up the wood, put it in a boiler, heat up the water so everyone could have hot showers. So just because I was up, I always just ended up doing that. Um, and this one morning, it was pretty well into the DTS, because I had like a big beard, long hair. Um, I started the fire, and I go into the washroom, and I'm just brushing my teeth. And I like look up into the mirror, and I just catch my eyes, and just for like a split second, I could not recognize who I was. It was just the weirdest feeling. It was just like those eyes were different. And all of this went through my head in just like a flash. And then all of a sudden I was just like, went into this kind of almost like a warp wormhole. It was just like 
you're so different. Look at all the way that you're thinking. Like, remember when you used to think like this? Now you think, I was just like, whoa. And I just started like bawling and laughing. And it was just really, it was really amazing. It yeah. was. It was amazing. When, when Jake came back, um, so, you know, I, I'd had a number of encounters with Jake through the years. And, you know, where I tried to initiate conversation, where I try and say hi to him, like I mentioned, it was just kind of, it was just a bit cold. And, um, you know, you're always trying to break through a little bit. Um, you know, and so, you know, his parents were like, hey, Jake's coming back soon. And, and uh, I knew he was, you were going to be at church the, you know, that Sunday that he got back. And I, and I went to say hi to you. And before Jake even responded to me, uh, your whole demeanor, uh, he looked like a completely different person. Uh, and uh, and I, I'm not just saying that as a, as a metaphor. His, his physical stature was actually different. And it's been different since. Uh, and tell us when you were in... You know, after that, you know, you, you shared a story where you're in the back of a car and you started listening to some rap music uh, from your high school days. And how did that affect you? Um, so while I was there, there was kind of this weird experience that I kind of like to reflect on because it's so significant to me. Um, I just remember this one time we were in the van and this was like, you know, I'm so saved. I love the Lord and all this good stuff and all oh, this is so awesome. I'm connecting people and the conversation kind of has a lull a little bit, so I'm like, okay, whatever. I just like pop in my headphones, and I, I used to be turning like facing everyone in the back there. And after I pop in my headphones, I kind of like turn to the front, and this like Biggie Small song comes on, and I can't even listen to that guy anymore. He's just, just a little too much for me now. Um, but yeah, I just start listening to the song, and like, you know, I start grooving to the beat, and I know all the lyrics, so I'm like, just quietly saying the lyrics to myself because I don't want other people to hear these words that I'm saying. <laughs> and as I'm listening to this song, I can kind of feel these, these emotions and these thoughts, and they're, just, they're, they're quite dark. And I'm just like, I'm slowly becoming aware of them as I'm saying these lyrics of this song. And I'm just like, whoa, what's, this is kind of weird. And I kind of like turn my hat down, and I can feel myself like pulling away from everyone and sitting closer to the window while I'm like kind of sitting these lyrics. And I'm just like, what is happening? This is so weird. And I just... I just stopped and just turned my hat back up, deleted all the rap music off my phone, and I spent like $500 at YWAM downloading like Christian rap. It was really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, it wasn't that good, but it grew on me. Is but it, it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. that good, but it, it grew on me. Uh, it's just amazing how, you know, what we allow into our, uh, into our eyes, into our ears, how it affects our demeanor and how we understand God, how we relate to others, how we relate to God. Um, and really neat that you recognize the effect that that uh, maybe played in your, in your heart. Um, okay, we fast forward. Uh, you know, there's this girl involved in your life now. Uh, you know, you're about to get married in a couple of weeks to Alyssa. Uh, Woohoo, yeah. And, uh, but you've known Alyssa for a long time. Uh, and you thought she was pretty great back then, but you said, I knew she would never date a guy like me. That's right. So t tell us a little bit about why you knew that. Uh, what type of guy would Alyssa have dated and that you weren't? Well, I've known Alyssa my entire life. Spent like every, we always did a summer vacation to Prince George, and I was always like, oh yeah, we're going to go see the Doherty's and hang out with the Doherty's. They're so great. Yeah, Alyssa's awesome. Uh, I always had like this little slight crush on her um, just to kind of, explain that I, the reason that I knew I kind of had a crush, you know, we'd go to their house and I'd always be so worried about like, oh, okay, we're going to go to their house. Got to hug everyone. I'm going to hug all the girls because she's from a family of five girls. I'm going to hug all of them when I get in there. And we walk through the door, hug one, two, three, four, 
There's Lessa. Okay, I'm just gonna walk past. Oh, okay, and there we go. I'm in the house. And then obviously we were just like the best of friends after that. But I could never bring myself to hug her because I was just like, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> so, what was it about you back then that you're like Alyssa would never date a guy like me? Yeah. So, again, I just Alyssa would never be able to date a guy like me. Um, one because I was too scared of relationship. I had never had a girlfriend before Alyssa just because I was so broken and knew that I was broken and I, I didn't have the capacity to love anyone else because I could hardly love myself. Mm. And so for Alyssa, you know, I actually heard a comment my mom made one time because Caleb always used to bug me about, oh, you and Alyssa, you guys are so great together. You're basically the same person, but one's a guy and one's a girl. <laughs> and Caleb's bugging me this one time. He's like, oh, and Alyssa's going to be there. And then I just hear my mom in the back. She's like, and Caleb, oh, we... Caleb's his older yeah, brother. Caleb, yeah. Caleb's my older brother. My mom's in the back and she's like, oh, we couldn't, we couldn't sick Jacob on Alyssa like that. <laughs> and I was just like, I, it didn't offend me at all. I just sat there and I was like, you know, that's so true. As much as I would love to date a girl as awesome as Alyssa, I could never be the man for her because I don't have the capacity to love her. Hmm. So did she notice, like the difference you talked about, the difference I noticed in you, did she notice that difference in you? Right away. And funny story, uh, kind of like right when I got saved, I kind of just, all I could think about after that, right when I got saved, was like, oh, Alyssa, I got to get to Prince George, got to put the moves on, you know, I'm a good guy now, I can, yeah, I got a I fighting chance. <laughs> uh, so I started actually messaging Alyssa while I was in Prince George, and she thought that was the weirdest thing ever, because I have never messaged her, except outside of, like, family vacation time. Um, but I remember the first time I messaged her, uh, she messaged me back and she starts telling me about this dream that she actually had. And it was this dream about, she was in this like crowded room, I think. And she can correct me later if I'm wrong. Uh, she's in this crowded room and she's kind of crying. And I kind of like weave my way through the crowd and I've got this big smile on my face and I just run up and give her like a big hug. And it was kind of significant because I've never really hugged her before. Right? And so she just got this impression in that dream that, wow, Jake is just so different. And so for me, to hear that, when I first messaged her, was just like, boom, confirmation. I'm not going to tell her that because it's, it's weird. You don't tell people that. But to me, it was confirmation. So now I'm, now I'm, now I'm chasing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and she said yes. And she said yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, part of what I love about it is just, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about the God initiating right, and receiving the love of God, that vertical relationship, and then actually now from that place, how does that vertical relationship impact your horizontal relationships now? Well, I mean, we can talk about your obedience triangle in the three, two, one, the one, two, three a little bit, um, because for me, even when I was in that dark place, right, I knew the way that I needed to behave in order to change and start connecting to people and building relationships. And I tried in my own strength that obedience. Okay, I got to be able to make it to work. I got to be able to not drink. Um, but that wasn't possible for me, working that three, two, one. Mm. When I got to YWAM and I had the love of the Lord shine down on me and I was able to just love back, feel that love back to him. And then I was able to extend that love to other people and it just really built me up. And in that place of feeling you know, upright and healthy, I was then able to make healthier decisions. Awesome. Yeah, so good. And, uh, and lastly, you just made the 
I just want to comment on something you said. He said, um, uh, I've secured my relationship because before I was so fearful of having my already fractured heart broken. But now I have the love of God and that fills me up and I know that that relationship will never be broken. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty cool. Um, Jake, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind lighting our Advent candle for this morning, uh, the Advent candle that represents love. And let's give Jake a hand for sharing with us. Thanks, Jake. I'm going to, at this time, I'm going to invite the, the worship team uh, to stage uh, and just want to kind of go back to that, uh, that triangle slide that Jake was referring to. And uh, what is neat about what, what Jake said there at the end was what Jesus invites us to in the Advent season is to receive, to stop trying, to stop manipulating, stop putting God in a box in terms of how God ought to show up or ought to, you know, Jesus came in nobody's box and he entered the messiness uh, of our world in the form of a baby, uh, in the, in, into a poor family under the oppression of the Romans. And everybody was looking for this uh, something different, this Messiah, this deliverer, and he did deliver and he did come, but not in the way that people expected. And I'm wondering in this Christmas season that you would be able to take a posture of receiving. Uh, John 1 says that for those who received him, for those who called on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the story that you heard Jake share was one of Jake finally just letting God out of the box and just taking a posture of receiving. And as Jake received, it transformed his heart. It actually gave him the capacity to love God and then extend that love to others. Because as followers of Jesus, we always give away what God gives us. And if you're struggling to love others well, to love yourself well like Jake was, the answer isn't to go three, two, one and just try harder to be a better person and hopefully... You know, you can prove to God that you're lovable. It's actually just to receive the love of God that he's already trying to pour out on you. And then let that overflow into your life and into the life, lives of others. So won't you stand with us? And I, I want to pray a, a prayer here as I close. If you, if you are not someone who has ever taken that step of receiving Jesus before, You've been working at life and trying to be good enough, trying to be a good person. You've got things that you've wrestled with and that you just wish God would fix. And I'm not saying God won't fix them and maybe it'll look different than you think it's going to look, but, but I believe that Jesus just wants to, you to take a posture of receiving him. His own did not receive him, but for those who did, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you're in that place this morning, I just invite you to pray in your hearts as I, uh, after me as I pray. Jesus, we thank you for initiating relationship with me. Lord, we thank you for grace. 
Grace is not something I earn, but it's something I receive. So this morning, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your light. I receive your love into my heart. You are my Messiah. You are my King. Lord, would you fill my life with your love and your grace and allow that to overflow into this world. In Jesus' name, amen.